Good morning. Good morning, Art. We ready to go? Thank you, Jesus. That's really nice. Um, we're going to be doing a lot of things today. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, that's where I think I'm going to start. And then grab Revelation chapter 3. We'll make it there in a moment. Um, maybe a few other places. We'll see how much we get to. It's like uh, everything, everywhere, all the time, at the same time, all at once. Um, but um, it's uh, yeah, it's a lot. We'll see. We'll we'll see. We'll see. All right, when you have it, why don't you stand with me? Let's pray, and we'll get going. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for you. We thank you for how awesome you are. We thank you, God, for the things that you're doing in our lives and um, how you speak to us, how you love us, how you never give up on us and how you're always with us. And we're just really grateful for you, God. And we pray, Lord, that as we're here this morning, that your spirit would be in this place and that you would be totally in control, totally and completely in control and that your victory, God, would have its effect in our lives. We pray, Lord, that you would um, do the things that you desire to do in us and conform us into your image and make us like you, God. 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 And everything, Lord, that is in us that is not of you, Lord, we just pray that you would uh, help us to get out of it in Jesus' name. We do want to be like you, Lord. You are our example. You are our model you are you're what we want you're what we desire god in jesus name amen amen good morning um we have let's see here I'm going to start by reading a few um, verses here in Matthew chapter 12 and uh, Matthew chapter 11, um, which deal with uh, uh, an interesting time uh, around the middle of Jesus' ministry, where he's um, facing um, this, uh, this certain opposition, and um, what he says about it is, uh, is, is very interesting to me, so um, praise the Lord. All right. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, that, 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 that's, that's really awesome. <laughs> that, that, that what we just started is really awesome. But that's not what we're talking about today. It's, so, but but um, the next two verses, um, well, they're just awesome. I just want to invite you to think about this with me, because um, this is what we're going to focus on this morning. The, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. This is, um, 
really incredible for many reasons. Jesus' ministry obviously represented just, uh, just everything we want to be. Um, but, but um, uh, very confusingly, Jesus in John chapter 14, remember, said, um, you know, it's better that I'm going. Send the Holy Spirit. And then um, I think it's verse 38 in John 14, and he says, you know, greater works than these will you do, which is concerning, you know, to say the least. Um, but, but, but greater um, is, a, is a, well, it doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> uh, in the way that, you know, when you were um, uh, in, uh, in, in third grade, um, the word nice doesn't, it doesn't really mean anything, you know. Um, it, it, it's, it, it means so much that it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything in particular at all. Um, nice is just a, a, it's just a nice way to say nice things about nice people. But like you don't, you don't, it doesn't actually mean anything in particular. Do you, do you mean that you're kind? Do you mean that you're courteous? Do you mean that you're generous? Do you mean that you're patient? Like what, 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 what exactly is it that you mean? It's just such a, it's such a big word. And when Jesus says that greater things will these when you do, so that's very confusing because some people consider greater to, we have very different definitions of greater. Some people are like, well, you know, you didn't set up a kingdom on earth, so we'll set up a kingdom on earth and we'll be greater. And some people are like, you know, you didn't reach all the nations, well, we'll reach all the nations, so we'll be greater. But um, I don't think that any of those things is, is, is what Jesus means. I think what Jesus, think about what he's saying in this passage, which I think is, is really interesting, right? The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here greater, at least in this context, um, uh, is very interesting. So in this context, what he's saying is that he was greater than Jonah, and so the conviction upon his ministry was greater than the conviction of Jonah. And so if the men of Nineveh were convicted at Jonah, they would have been convicted at him, right? But even if you were worse off than Nineveh, even if you were more hard-hearted, even if you were more stubborn, more prideful, more persistent in your ways, more less likely to be convicted, you still should have been convicted because he was greater than Jonah was, right? And so what he's saying is because you're not convicted by the thing that is greater than Jonah, like, you must be more stubborn and more sinful than, than men of Nineveh were. And the Bible says that they were a very great and very sinful city. And so, and so in that sense, he's saying at the judgment, it's not the judge, the righteous judge that is going to condemn you, even though he has every right to, to do that. Will you be condemned in comparison to Nineveh? See, they were great sinners, and they're deserving of you know, everything, but you're, gonna, you're worse because you didn't repent at the thing that the men of Nineveh repented at, right? So that's the negative. And then on the positive, it's also very interesting. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, and for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And so this is the positive, right? It's, it's, on the negative, you should have like, you, you been... Um, you should have been convicted you know, at the ministry of Jesus because it was a greater ministry than the ministry of Jonah. And they said, on the positive, you should have been attracted to the ministry of Jesus because the queen of Sheba was attracted to the ministry of Solomon and a greater wisdom than Solomon is present. And she came from the ends of the earth. And you won't even, like, in, you know, I'm in your village. You ain't going nowhere. And you won't even, like, you know, you, you won't even turn and humble your hearts. The reason that this is interesting is because this concept, so, uh, you probably already know this. The, the idea of would have is a, is a very curious and, and difficult idea because we never really know would, like, what would have happened. 
like we as humans, we don't really, not in any complicated sense. I mean, sure, like if something is like you know a, a strictly physics formula, like sure, okay. But like, but 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 relationally in life, like decisions and things like that, you never know what would have happened, you know, if you had gone to that school instead of this one, or you know, had had you understand? Like you you don't like you. you we don't really know that very often. And the Bible doesn't use this concept very often because only God knows what would have happened. It's um, uh, uh, very interesting doctrine called middle knowledge. Talk about it some other time. <laughs> but God knows what would have happened. That's very interesting. Um, and the Bible doesn't talk about would have very often, but here it talks about would have. And the would have is very interesting because I, I want to apply it to our lives. This idea is a very interesting idea, which is to say that if you have, if you have a generation that is, that is of a certain sin level, there's a certain level of conviction that would reach them. But if you have a generation that is of a greater sin level, then you need a greater level of conviction to reach them. You need a ministry that is greater than Jonah to reach a generation that is more sinful than Jonah's was. And I wonder if when Jesus said, that you would do even greater works than the ones that he's done. I wonder if he's making available to you something that would have convicted the generation that Jesus was a part of. Now, our generation, I think, is more sinful, more prideful, more stubborn, more rebellious and everything than the generation. That, but I wonder if what he, like on the one hand, it's a judgment of the reject, the, how they rejected the greatness of his ministry. On the other hand, I wonder if it's, a principle for us to understand that the question is not how much does the world reject the message of the gospel. The question is how great of a ministry can you offer them? Can you offer them a ministry that is, that, that, whose greatness is sufficient to match their rebellion and their sinfulness? Can you offer them a wisdom? Like, so, so if, if Solomon were not as, in other words, if Solomon were not as wise, if he had an inferior wisdom, the queen of Sheba would have never showed up. Correct? The Queen of Sheba would have never showed up. But because he had a ministry that was of a sufficient greatness, the Queen of Sheba did show up. And I wonder if what he's saying is there is a responsibility upon our lives to have a ministry that is of sufficient greatness for the generation which we live in to show up. In Matthew chapter 11, he actually says something like very similar, which is... Um, uh, which is, again, very concerning. Uh, Matthew 11, chapter, uh, to, to, to verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. And he said, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And I tell you, it, would be, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable, uh, they're more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Tyre, Sidon, discussed in, uh, in, in Ezekiel, and, and uh, Sodom, whose story everybody knows, there's cities that were destroyed because of their pride, because of their sinfulness, because of their darkness. But Jesus is saying something here that is honestly Pretty extraordinary if you think about it. He's saying that if you took the ministry that he demonstrated and you backdated it to the day of Sodom and you put the ministry of Jesus in the city of Sodom, instead of Sodom being judged and condemned, Sodom would have been saved. 
I don't know if you feel the tinkle jingles, but I do. Like, like, that's an extraordinary statement. Lot, which we're going to talk about in a moment, lived in Sodom without the greatness of ministry that enabled him to make a difference in Sodom. So he existed and he survived. And when it was time for Sodom to be judged, he was, he was saved out of that judgment because he was, he was, he was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. He lived in isolation without the ability to transform the city around him. But Jesus said, if I had been in Sodom, if the ministry, talking about his physicals obviously came at the right time and everything. But like, if the ministry that Jesus walked out had existed in Sodom, Sodom would have never been destroyed. That's extraordinary. Because what that means is that one day when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, if the generation in which we live faces eternal damnation, it will be our fault. Because what it means is that we will not have offered them a ministry that is sufficient to convict the generation that we are part of. And like God says to Ezekiel, their blood, is on, their blood will be on your hands. And it, like, you know, like on the one hand, it's like, well, they sin. Yes, but on the other hand, in the Holy Spirit, there is available to you and I, no excuses, no, like, like, we can't have excuses. It can't be like, oh, I'm a victim, so, you know, I don't have to do, like, you, I'm, you know, I'm a victim of my times. Like, does anybody know how terrible this generation is? No. The generation is not changed because we have not offered them a, a, a ministry that is sufficient to effect change. Stop with the excuses. And it's not condemning any one of you. I'm just, just like, we all need to, to continue to seek God and to like press in for this. But like when you go to work and you realize that people around you are not changing, when you go to school and you realize you're not having any impact on the people there, it's not, well, you know, it's a stubborn and rebellious generation, brother, don't you know? I do know. But Jesus said that if his ministry had been located in Sodom, Sodom would have never been destroyed. If his ministry had been located in Tyre and Sidon, they would have never sunk into the depth of the sea. And we have to be real about, we have to be real about that. We have to be real about the fact that there is a would have in God that God knows. If we would rise up to the standard that God has set for us, the generation that we are part of, be a part of can be saved. You know that we cry on our prayer calls like, you know, day after day after day, oh God save, you know, God save God. And like the it, if, if, if it's just, a, if it's just a, an empty, you know, sort of prayer, then it doesn't mean anything. But we have to understand there is a responsibility upon your life and my life to be convicted by the fact that what we are offering to, to, to our campuses, to our classes, to our, our, our colleagues is not transforming them. And, like, listen, like, we're, you know, all in the same boat here. Like, I'm not, you know, making very much of a difference, you know, in finance. Like, it's not, this is not a, it, 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 we're all in the same boat, And until we offer them a ministry that changes them, because we, now we know it's possible. Now we can't just say, well, Sodom was, you know, that, like they, they, were, they, were, they, were, or they were predestined for judgment, like, like, like a good Pauline scholar would say. Now, you know, brother, they were predestined for, you know, vessels of honorable use, vessels for dishonorable use. They were predestined. Like, you can't say that because Jesus says they would have turned. If the miracles done here were done there. And, and see, like, do you want to stand before him one day and hear, like, your generation, your campus would have been saved if the works that I did when I walked the earth, you done. Like, it's just, that's not, that's not a good situation to be in. Who wants to be in that situation? I don't want to be in that situation. That's not a good situation to be in at all.
And yet that's real. It's, it's very, 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 very real. It's very real that God makes available to us a power great enough to really make a difference. And it's also real that it's incumbent upon us to walk in it. Revelation chapter three. Go around in a few different places today. Glory to Jesus. Revelation chapter three is church of Philadelphia, which describes, I, when I read this, the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, I always, when I get to the church, sometimes like, I'm like, I really can't really relate to this. When I get to the church of Philadelphia, I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> and to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, right, the words of the Holy One, sorry, this is verse seven of Revelation three. The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Ooh, love it. Who opens and no one will shut. Who shuts and no one will open. I know your works. I, I always love reading this statement at the beginning of these letters. I know your works. He doesn't say I know your heart. He doesn't say I know your intentions. He doesn't say I know what you tell your friends on, on Instagram. Like it doesn't say I, I know your social media posts. He doesn't say, I know the videos you made. He says, I know your works, things that you've done. And he says, behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. Does that remind you of your life? There is a calling and a path that God has made available to you, and you know it. And you also know that because he has made it available to you, that there is not a demon in hell, not a person in this world, that you, you, like, you live a no-excuses life. Because the fact is that God has made a way for you and if you don't walk in it, that's going to be, up, that's going to be entirely up to you. you. Like, we're not going to be able to blame somebody else. Do you know? Behold, I've set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know you have but little power. And yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Raise your hand if that's your like if that's your life, you know. Like, like no, I'm not serious. It's like Jesus, like you. Know, I know you don't have any power, but at least you're faithful to you know to like to you know at least to believe the right stuff. Like at least you're not denying it. Like at least you know you like you're, you're confessing the truth. You just don't have no power to like to demonstrate. Like raise your hand. That's your. I'm just kidding. You don't have to raise your hand. But but just that's why when I read this, I'm like Lord. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews but are not lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. How many of you dream of vengeance like in this sense that like all the people who ever doubted you, all the people who ever, you know, spoke ill of you, all the people who said you are part of a cult and you're wayward and, you know, they all know Jesus, you don't. Like how would you love for Jesus to do this? I will make them come and bow down at your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. And we'd be like, yes, that's exactly what I want. That's for a powerless church. It is his kindness to a powerless church. He does love you. He does consider you faithful. He is quite happy with the fact that you are faithful in the midst of, he calls it, you live in the synagogue of Satan. They say they're Jews. They are not Jews. They're liars. And they, like, they, they persecute you. And don't worry, said, I'm going to give you vengeance. They're going to come, they're going to bow down, they're going to know you are favored, and they are not. And you're like, woo, I want that. That is a reward for powerless church. A faithful, but powerless church. 
Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. For the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem who comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The interesting thing about this letter is that Jesus is not rebuke them. He's not condemning them. He is, this is not one of those letters where, like, where he's like, y'all, y'all in trouble. Like, you don't repent, you're going to die. Like, it's, this is not one of those letters. He's actually quite, I don't know what the right, like, I, I, he, like, he acknowledges their faithfulness. He acknowledges their endurance. He acknowledges that they have a crown. But he also acknowledges the position that they are in, which is to say that, like, you know, uh, he says, hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. And I feel like in some sense, like that, that's kind of the, like the best thing that a powerless church can do. It's like, you know, just hold fast to what you have and like, you know, don't lose it. And Jesus, don't worry. I will protect you from the hour of trial. You ain't going to lose it. It's just, you know, like you ain't going to lose it. So, you know, this is like, oh, we're going to lose our members. Oh, we're going to lose our donations. Oh, we're going to lose this. Oh, we're going to lose that. Oh, I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my income. I'm, gonna lose my job. I'm constantly like worried about losing things. And Jesus, don't worry, you know, just, just endure, but don't worry about about losing things, like, you know, I'll protect you, and he says, I'm pleased with you, and your name will be in the new Jerusalem, and you've been faithful, and you've been good, and, you, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of reasons to be perfectly content with this life. God's not upset with you. He's happy that you were faithful. He's happy that you were holding on. He's happy that, like, you know, you, maybe you are a victim. You have been persecuted. People have shoved you down, but you've stood fast. You've been faithful to his word. You've not abandoned it. You've done what is right, but you have no power. And all of your righteousness, the entire paradigm of your righteousness is in response to what do I do if I don't have any power, but I still want to do what's right before God. And you're doing a good job with that as far as like that goes. <laughs> but it's still the reward of a church that tried to do what was right, but without the power that he, that, that he makes available to do even greater things. And I feel like there are so many, 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 many people who are very content with this. And I can understand, you know, because you feel that God is pleased with you and you feel that your life is going somewhere, that he has opened doors before you, that he has made a path for you, that he is giving you the family and friends and a sense of belonging and, you know, an income and you're doing some good works and your church is like, like I get it. But and, and, I mean, look around, you know, in this country, how many people are like, you know, we're going to hold on to our Christian principles and, you know, the world all around us and there's these people and those people in this community. And Everything is impinging on my Christian values and here I am just holding fast, like holding fast. And there's a reward set up for me in heaven. Like it, it, none of it is wrong. There, you know, Jesus is not against it at all. He's not against it at all. He's he's. It turns out, I think, quite pleased actually in some regards with this steadfastness, this ability to resist persecution, the ability to stand strong in things that you believe, to not deny. Like, I know that you have, but little power. Like you just, you know, you you just, but. But the reality is that you have no power. And all of the, the perspective of trying to protect what you have, of just trying not to lose more ground, of trying to make sure you don't fall away, it, it, it all makes sense and it's all very, very, very good if you've become content with not having any power.
I want to encourage you not to be content. I want to encourage you that it may seem very difficult that some of the places that you feel like God has called you to, whatever industry you're in, medicine, finance, tech, law, wherever, wherever. I've, I, I learned in the last few years that everybody thinks that wherever they are is the hardest place on earth to be. So, you know, wherever you are and you think it's like very very hard the fact is this and I want this to convict you but not in like a like a mean way not in like a condemning way you know but in like a uplifting way like ah the the scent of opportunity Um, so so, I don't know if you watched any of those movies where like "Mm, I can smell money like you know the greedy person like the scent of opportunity there is, a power, there is a power available in God that would have saved Sodom from its destruction. And Sodom was full of all the things that, that we are frustrated with today. The homosexuality, the, 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 total, the total lack of all morality. Sodom was full of it, so full of it, God decided to rain down fire out of heaven to consume it out of the earth because it couldn't stand it any longer. Because it was just a cry. It went out against Sodom. Okay, all right. Jesus said that if, if the works that, I, that, I was, that he was doing had been done in Sodom, Sodom would have never been destroyed. Let that shake you. If you will do the works that Jesus did, we'll save this generation and every single campus. And it's not about the effectiveness of your preaching. It's not, all, it's not even about holding on to the thing that God... There's, there's something, there's a power that... that, that creates the capacity to turn hearts and minds and to attract the kings and queens of the earth from the ends of the earth to come and to sit at the feet of Solomon. The queen of Sheba is not, I mean, like, came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. He said, behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Why is it that people like to listen to, you know, Jimmy Kimmel or, you know, Ellen, not anymore, like those people, but they don't like to listen to, to you. But there is available to you a wisdom greater than Solomon's. It's available to you. It's available to me. It's available to all of us. There is a, the power to change this generation, to, to, uh, to absolutely capture it. I mean... Jonah, his story is like is rather unbelievable. He's not a particularly nobody lists Jonah among the heroes of the faith for some reason. For, for some reason, you know, when you, when you talk about you, know, who are your heroes? Like David, Paul, you know, Peter, Elijah, Samuel. Nobody ever, nobody ever says Jonah um, that I know of. You know, nobody. Or maybe you. Maybe you're like, well, I'll list Jonah. I'm gonna be contrarian. Um, Nobody ever says Jonah, and probably rightfully so. Jonah is not known to be a man of, of a particularly large amount of righteousness, but even Jonah, under the, the, the anointing, the power that is upon his life, was able to reach a very, very, very sinful city. And he was able to do it in a very short amount of time. In one campaign, essentially, he turned the entire city upside down. The entire city upside down. And now, all we have... There are so many people with so many opinions in the church. Do you know? So few have any power to change anyone's life. When was the last time you said something that changed someone's life? 
not talking about you. I'm talking about your friends that are you know, out there and they don't know the Holy Spirit the way that you do. And you know, obviously you have the gift of the word of wisdom, which Paul talks about, the utterance of wisdom. That's, and every time you speak, somebody's like, oh, I never, I've never heard anything like that before. My life has changed. But, but if Jonah could change Nineveh, you can change New York or Boston or Philadelphia. It doesn't take a large ministry infrastructure. It does not take millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. It does not take thousands of people rallying behind you. It doesn't take a large ministry. It takes a power to rest upon your life that is actually able to make a difference. And it is absolutely the will of God. He says, I've set a door, I've opened a door before you. No one can shut it. It is absolutely the will of God to open doors for you and not to shut them. It is absolutely the will of God. It is his pleasure to make available to you his spirit without measure, without limit, with no ceiling. There's no ceiling. There's no ceiling. There's no ceiling on it. You can do it. You can do it. And some might say, well, well you know, if Jesus couldn't even reach, you know, Capernaum, like how are we going to reach New York? Jesus was limited in his ministry because he had a, which is a very difficult thing necessary to say, except that he said it himself. And that he was limited in his ministry. That, that he, like, there, there are certain limits that were placed upon him in his ministry. There are certain instructions that God had given him. For instance, he was not to reach anybody other than the Jews. Like, like do you know? Like, he was, just, he, he, he was actually limited in certain ways that you and I are not limited in. Second, first Corinthians chapter 4, right? And Paul says that, the, that everywhere we go, we are spreading the fragrance of Christ. Like, like there's a, a certain of openness in what it is that is available to us because the Holy Spirit has been made available to us that, that you have to embrace and it has to shake you. And every time you try to share the gospel with someone and they say, not interested, you can't just be like, well, you know, the time is not right, the, the harvest is not right. You, you, like, you can do that. And how, how often, like, how has that, how has that worked out for you and I, is it like, does it ever made any difference for us? Just to say, well, you know, they're just not ready. Like, has that ever made any difference to us? I hope no, like, I don't think so. But you can also say no, like, like the, there's, a, there's a power and a conviction that does not yet rest upon my life and I will seek God. And I will seek God for it. And I will seek God for his baptism. And I will seek God for his power. And I will seek God for the weapons of warfare that are available to me, been made available to me. And I will seek them until I have them. Because Columbia can be changed. And Harvard can be changed. And Yale can be changed. And Princeton can be changed. And every day that goes by without us. And, and it, it's not like, of course, like it's not like, well, you better do it today. Otherwise, God's not pissed. Like, you know, he's very happy. He wants us to continue to seek him. But we can't sit there making excuses for ourselves. We have to be okay. The... Lord, let's be real. The reality is that the power that is available to me does not yet rest upon my life. And I will not change the subject, and I will not make excuses for myself, and I will not pretend that it's not available, and I will not pretend that it's your fault, and I will not pretend the world is too sinful and too dark and too wicked and too stubborn and too everything else. I will not pretend those things. I will confess this is my fault, entirely my fault, entirely my fault. The power is available, made available to me. I have not picked it up yet, and I will. I will not give up on that change of subject, and I will not pretend that the, that the burden of conviction is not on me anymore because I graduated and I moved on with life. I don't care anymore. Maybe you care about other people now. It's fine too. You've got to care about somebody. And it just, it's just, it needs to, it needs to burn in you until like, it needs to burn in you. You can't just put it out all the time and be like, I don't want to be convicted. I just want to watch Netflix. Like, I, I, I don't want to be convicted. I just want, I want to, whatever, collect shoes. Like, I, 
just let the conviction burn in you. Like I, I some people don't like conviction. I love, <laughs> I love conviction. It makes me very happy to be convicted for some reason. You know, it just makes me very, it makes me very happy to be convicted. It makes me very happy to be convicted. I know some people are like, that's not true, God. I'm a, I'm a great person. I love to know. Like, it just makes me very happy. When that's why some people are like, they don't like to read. I know you have little power. I'm like. Yes, Lord. But it's like, you know, like, I, I receive it. And I, I, I want to keep that fire burning. I don't want it to go out just because I get bored, you know, or, or, or I fail too many times. You know, don't be those people. You know, you fall off your bike three times and I'm never going to learn this. I'm just like, the bike's not made for me. Like, it just don't be one of those people. You can learn, and you can be, and it's just so easy to quit and give up and, and to have every excuse in the world. You can cure cancer. You can raise the dead. You can, I'm like, sure, like 3,000 people you've prayed for have died, but like, you know, like you can. You just press in. Um, Heidi said, I don't think it's like a very, like, a, a, I don't think she actually counted, but she's like, you know, I prayed for 1,000 blind people that didn't get healed before the first one that I prayed for did. Um, like, you, you, you just, you can't give up that way. You know, just because, you know, you bake a muffin, it doesn't come out a muffin, it comes out just a plop, don't mean that you can't bake muffins. You just have to keep trying. You have to, you know, it has to be hydrated correctly. And like, it just, the oven has to be set. And like, the whole, you have to learn. You have to, you just, you have to learn, you know? You have to learn. And you can. But it's, it's available to you and to I, me, me, it's available to you and to me. And, and, and the only reason you will not accomplish this is because we excuse ourselves. And if one day God has to come and he has to save you out of, because your, the power on your life was not sufficient enough to change the circumstance around you, like you will be saved and there is a place in heaven for you and you will have a crown for your persistence and for your diligence, for your faithfulness, for your endurance. Come on, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, I think that he came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And, and, and so have you been sent on this earth to destroy the works of the devil. You've, you've been sent here to destroy the power of homosexuality in this generation. And, and, and just like, you know, <laughs> you've been, you've been, like, you have been sent upon this generation to destroy the power of sexual morality. You have been like to destroy... Like all the, the culture on the campuses that you don't like, the partying, the frats, the sleeping around, like the gaming, the Bitcoin investing, like you know, all this stuff that you don't like. Oh, I just lumped all those things together tonight. Like you just, all the things that you don't like, it, it's the idolatry of it all, the materialism of all, the worldliness of it all. You have been called to destroy each and every single one of those things. And there's a power in you to call people out of those things, to rescue them out of it. Um, and you have, like, you got to live up to that, brother, sister. Self, gotta live up to it. Step number one: before you can play offense, you have to learn how to play defense. The spiritual. Do you see everything, everywhere, all at once? <laughs> so this is one of those Sundays. This is like we're not making any points. We're just we're just talking. We're just talking. I was, um, cut this out of the recording, I was, I was quite moved by that movie, actually. And there's many, many objectionable parts of it, but, but the editing was superb, superbly edited. The editing was superb. The screenplay, anyways, okay, all right. 
No, no, some parts of it were objectionable. I, I'm not recommending it to you. Okay. Put Ephesians chapter 6. Sorry, we should, have, we should not have rabbit trail. Let's keep going here. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord. You know this. And the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, causing powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. The armor of God is not designed, I mean, there is, you do get a sword, eh? you do get a sword, but the armor of God, the reason he tells you to put it on is so that you can learn to play defense. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This, we're not talking about destroying the schemes of the devil yet. We're just talking about standing your ground. You have to learn how to play defense before you learn how to play offense. And if you don't ever learn how to play defense, when you start try to play offense, he will mess with you. You be like you utterly destroyed. Have you ever seen like in sports how people that can't play defense? I mean, not really in professional sports because because. Any team that can win a game knows the importance of defense. Like, you don't really see teams that are just horrifically bad at it. Like, you would not, for instance, if you were playing soccer, have all of your people on the front of the court, like, at front of the field trying to score the goal because that'd be stupid. Do you know? Be like, in basketball, this actually happens a lot because the court's like, you know, everybody's on the other end trying to score the basket, and then, you know, the other team rebounds. They throw it to the other side of the court. There's somebody totally wide open, and they score the goal. And in Christianity, we do, like, sometimes we do a lot of this. We were like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, do offense without doing defense. And if you don't know how to do defense, your offense will last, like, three seconds. Because you'll be utterly taken advantage of thrash, thrown around, like, you have no idea. God, the entirety of the armor of God, sword aside, although I would argue even the sword is designed for defense. Nobody fences if they don't know how to play defense with a sword. The entirety of the armor of God is designed not for you to destroy the works of the enemy, although there is that too. But when Paul talks about destroying the works of the enemy, he talks about weapons of righteousness in your left hand and your right, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. There's a time for offense where like, you put down the shield and you're like, I got two swords now, buddy. But the armor of God that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6 is designed for you to play defense, for you to get to a place where every thought, every temptation, every power of darkness has no impact on you. And if you cannot do that, then like, let's stop talking about playing offense. Let's talk about defense first. Let's talk about defense first. The spiritual world, I know you know this, but, but we often, often forget because the natural world looks so real to us. But Paul tells us, like, it's very clear. The things that you can see, they're all fading away. Totally and utterly temporary. One moment here, gone the next. The things that you cannot see are eternal. They are more real. They are more durable. They are more powerful. They have much greater impact on this earth than anything you can possibly see. There's nothing you should see that should move you, touch you, change you, influence you, influence your thinking in any way whatsoever. There's a pastor in California, she, um, I, I forget all the details of her story because I heard it many years ago, but I'll just give you sort of the, the broad um, thrust of it. I'm going to tell you a few different stories to just give you, I can't remember any, these are all, I don't meditate on these things typically, and so, but maybe somebody needs it this morning. She was, um, she was, she was ill, she was terminally ill, and she needed to have surgery. 
and 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 uh, in order in order to, um, uh, to to try to recover, her body was just it was it was it was failing. I can't remember what it was cancer or something else. But she was she was just absolutely terrified of having surgery because she just she was just terrified of it. And she not you could die like all the you know, people all of it. And she was just utterly terrified. And the Lord just 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 gave her peace. You know that that she would that she would be like okay. And so. She, she goes into the surgery thing and she's, you know, she's, she's got praying and people are praying for her, but she's just uncomfortable with the idea of getting surgery, which I can imagine I would never want to get surgery. But, but she was, you know, uh, anyways, she's, she's having that. And, and you have no idea, your spirit is so much more real than your body. And so they put her under for, um, to, to have the surgery, but her spirit is still awake, which is weird. And so she's, her body is totally asleep, but her spirit is is alert and she's able to see everything going on in the room, but her body's out. And so they begin to perform the operation on her and she can't feel any of it. And <clears throat> it's, a, it's, a, it's a somewhat long operation. And uh, in the middle of the operation, at some point going into it, all of a sudden she recognizes that surgery is going wrong. Like it's, it's, not, it's not going well. And um, the, the, the charts are there's like beeping, you know, and, and the doctor's like looking around, like all worried and like things like that. And, um, and, and it's, it's just not going well. And, um, and, she, um, she, and so she's very con- concerned about and confused about what to do. But, but when she um, uh, started, um, so when her spirit came alive, she, she began to see everything in the spiritual realm, right, in, in, in her room. And she noticed um, an angel just there's the 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 the, um, the 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 stage, you know, the the operation table, and she noticed an angel standing in the corner of the room, just all the way in the corner of the room, like you know, glowing, you know, with wings. It's pretty they're obvious, um, you know, glowing in wings and everything in the corner of the room, just sort of chilling and just like leaning against the wall, you know, in the corner of the room, just like just 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 chilling there, like you know, just like just real, just chilling, like just an angel just standing there and chilling. And um, and then you know when everything starts going wrong, she starts you know like oh no, you know what's gonna happen? She's like oh, this is not good. The angel, she looks up and the angel's like, oh, like, like it just perks to attention. Like the angel realizes that something's so, so the angel like comes over, you know, to the, uh, to the operating table and not, not waddling like that, <laughs> but, uh, you know, just like comes over to the operating table and, uh, you know, looks at the chair, looks at everything goes wrong and then just is like, you know, just smile, you know, like everything else. Just you know, takes his finger and just like puts it, you know, like somewhere in her body. Just like, pokes it like that. And as soon as the angel pokes it, all the charts go back to normal. The beeping stops. The, the, the doctors are like, what just happened? And like, everything goes back to normal. And the angel goes back to the corner, <laughs> you know, and begins to, you know, lean against the wall and chill again. And in that experience, she just began to realize that like, <laughs> the spiritual world is so much more real and totally dominates Anything that is going on here now, even things that you and I would think of as totally, completely physical forces, biological forces, biological realities, completely describable by natural laws, they're not. The spiritual world is so much more powerful than the things that, that, that you see here. In David Hogan's ministry in Mexico, they have, they have different like, ranches and farms and places where they, they farm. And I've told you these stories before. It's, it's, it's just odd. Most of the people there practice idolatry, and they do not. And you can, go, you can actually, this is very interesting. I've, I've been, and some of you have been, you could just drive across, and there's like fields that are totally fruitful, and there are fields that are like totally dead. And they're just sitting next to each other. And you can't describe it any other way. They're not irrigated differently. The soil's not different. The climate's not different. There's nothing different. There's nothing different. And Brother David will describe like his, his, in their churches, there's sometimes where like the rain will come. It will only rain on the brothers' farms. 
and there'd be two farms just next to each other. I mean, they're just next to each other. And the rain would just, on the brother's farm, and the farm next to it, just nothing. It's <laughs> just like nothing. This spiritual stuff is just, it's, it is so much more real than the things that, that, that you and I would think of on the earth. And the power of God is always available. He's always here to help us. He's always watching out for us. But the problem is that when we don't have the, the, the armor of God that is with us, you know, our ability to stand against the attack of the enemy, we just like every, we just get swatted around. We get swatted around because we're totally defenseless unless we actually pick up the armor of God and train ourselves in how to use it and how to stand firm in the world in which we live. You will never reach the sexually immoral if you yourself cannot stand against the temptation of sexual morality. It would not, you, you won't do it. I totally, 100% guarantee you. You can't deliver somebody of something that will come upon you and have power over you. I mean, you can, but it'll just come on you. Like, it'll just jump on you. Like, it just, they're, 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 and that would, be, that would be useless, obviously. They're not a good exercise. So, so the sons of Sceva, you remember, right? They tried to deliver a, a de demon that just pounced on them. Why would you do that? That's stupid. And so until you can play defense, don't try to play offense. But it's very important that you learn how to play defense. Very often, learning defense starts with like really small things in life. It just starts with like you know small fears, small anxieties, small just just you know you're walking down you know, the street in Harlem at night, and all of a sudden you just like a, a spirit of fear. Like you're not you weren't scared the moment before, and all of a sudden, just boom! It just like you know you know that feeling, right? Does anybody no, not Joanne? But like, does anybody else know the feeling of you know? I wish I had a gun. Like, you know, it's just like you. Maybe not. I wish. I, maybe I, I wish I had my pepper spray. <laughs> I wish I had my friend. Like it just. You, you know the feeling, right? It's not natural. It's not natural. And the reason that it's come upon you is because your armor ain't on, buddy. And you have to learn how to, like, play defense against these small, those, you, those are not big devils. I know that they, like, like, oh, I'm just, you know, I just get tormented by a spirit of fear. Those are small, small, like, petite you know, really kind of like the size of a, you know, mouse kind of devils. You can't stand against those. You ain't going to go against principalities, buddy. Is there demonic powers that can alter physical realities? Dr. Strange style. So, you know, if you can't deal with a little fear in your heart, like, like, <laughs> like we ain't going to go reach Capernaum. So, like, we have to, you have to go practice. You have to, like, really learn to, like, steward your heart, your mind, your, like, and defend yourself. Put a wall of, like, like, you know, put on the full armor of God. So when the enemy comes in any which way, you, like, swat him. Like, take your bat and, or your sword and be like, chop his head off, you know? Learn how to play defense. It's not... It just, it just happens. It's so fluidly, so constantly that you, it, if you think that you're stuck in something, like you're just constantly being harassed by the devil about something, like praise the Lord, brother or sister. Like that is, God is giving you opportunities. It's just like, if you have a, uh, an ant infestation in your house, that is an opportunity for you to learn how to swat ants. That is a good thing. 
You can try all sorts of different sprays, gels, like, you know, traps. Like, you can try all sorts of things. Because that's, and it's the same for you. If you have fear, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, mental instability, confusion, you know, anything that resembles, anything that you can recognize as thoughts that are not yours, that are unreasonable, irrational, they don't come from you, you're fairly certain it's the devil, that is the opportunity that God has given you to learn how to put on your armor so you can stand firm and so you can go on the offense against these very things that are present in our generation. You have to get over it. If you fear poverty, like, you just... If the devil can be like, ha you know, you share the gospel with that person, I'm taking your job. They're going to file a, a, a complaint against you with HR. You're not going to be employed anymore. You're going to be poor. You're going to be like homeless. Your family's not going to have any food. And you're like, you're right. I can't do that. I might be poor. I'm going to have a job. I'll be in my career. You're never going to do anything. Learn to play defense. Tommy's a liar. My father owns a company, fool. You can't fire me. Like, it's like, like, <laughs> devil's an idiot. Your God owns the universe. Devil's an idiot. Like, if you manage to get me fired from here, do you know what great position I'm going to have next? You can't even imagine. And you're like, oh, but, 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 but you know, the Facebook cafeteria is such great food. I don't want to lose that. <laughs> you can start another Facebook. It's not like, it's not, there's nothing, like, your God owns the universe. Like, it, 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 the, the Queen of Sheba did not show up at Solomon's doors because the Queen of Sheba loved Solomon. Solomon's wisdom was great enough that it attracted them. And, uh, you, like, you, no one's going to be like, oh, you're a Christian. I mean, well, some people are like, oh, you're a Christian. I'm investing in your small business. Some people would be like that. But, you, but, but just recognize there is a glory, a power, a wisdom available in you. God can lift you up just about anywhere he very well pleases. <laughs> so when the devil's be like, oh, you're not going to have a job anymore, just be like, you idiot. You kicked me out of this job. You have no idea what great, glorious thing I'm going to move on to next. I dare you. Please, please relieve me of my. I don't like these people that much anyway. Like, relieve me. I don't get paid enough here anyway. Relieve me of this job. Watch what happens next. Like, you just, you, you have to. When I was a student, I used to um, uh, buy meals for people. And it's very often they just be like, you don't have any money. You don't have money. You don't have any money. You don't have a job. You're poor. You shouldn't be buying meals for people. That happens like, all the time. I mean, it, these are just natural things. I didn't even know how to play defense back then. I was just like, yes, I am. But, you know, I know this is the right thing to do. But and now I know. You talk back. You know, like, talk back. You like talking back. Some of you like talking back at people, right? Don't talk back. Talk back at the devil. You know, don't talk back at the devil. Don't talk back at your, you know, spouse, your pastor, dear God. But, like, talk back at the devil. It gives you lots of opportunities to practice talking back. Talk back. Like, I'm not poor. Father owns the restaurant. He doesn't own the restaurant. He owns the entire food industry. No, he owns the food. He owns the planet. You sucker! Like it's just like you. T- it's just it's deeply irrational, but he makes it seem so real. You know, the lion's got a growl. It doesn't have a bite, but like the growl is just. I mean, you know, if the growl's scared, you just remind him you have no teeth. You have a growl. You don't have no teeth. And if you can learn to play defense, then you can go on the offense. Going on the offense is, oh, 10 more minutes. 
going on the well, maybe 15. Let's see. I'm going to stretch it a little bit. Like, like going on offense is that's where it gets really exciting. I just heard um, Brother Davis sent me this great story this week. Oh, it was so glorious. And there's this church in California. They dismantled this Church of Satan cult, occultic coven in their area. It was so. It was so awesome. It was just, it was, it was so glorious. It was so glorious. But everywhere you are, there are powers and principalities, and they, until you can dismantle them, you have no effects in the area. Mar Marolo talks about when he reached Berkeley, how early in the days when he reached Berkeley, there was a, an adult um, entertainment store that was around campus. And, uh, and, and the Lord, for whatever reason, just put it on his heart that he had to, like, that he had to get that thing out of town in order for him to have the impact on campus that he, that, you know, that he needed to have. And, and so they did, they prayed again, and they just prayed and prayed and prayed. And one day, the thing, the, just that store, it was part of a strip, like, you know, like, um, like a strip mall, like, you know, one of those things in the suburbs where, like, there's a bunch of stores. And, and one day, for, there, was a, a, a gig, there was a fire. It broke out in the store. It burned up everything in the store, and it didn't touch. It, the, the fire started and stopped at the adult entertainment store. Everything in it was consumed. And there was nothing but the left and to the right. Like, you know, there wasn't a hint of smoke like anywhere else. But just that store, you know, burnt down to, to the ground. And, um, and they didn't have the funds to, um, to, to, to rebuild it. And so it disappeared. And, and, um, and I think some church, you know, put a ministry center in there. Like, it was just, I, um, they just, like, you can... You have to be able to recognize these things and then be able to like, just begin to go on the offense. Do you know? I heard a story when I was, um, uh, when I was very young. That's, that's a very generic story, but it's, it's totally and completely, it, it's just a sort of thing that like, you have to learn to believe. There was, um, there was a girl who was, it was uh, a young lady who was in college. Um, I can't remember where. And, um, and she began to hear these, hear these stories of, um, of these men who were abducting young ladies, like, you know, in, in her city. And there was a certain alley where, um, where it would happen. This is, like, way back in the day, I think in, in, in the 90s or the 80s, um, before, you know, any of the modern technology. And, uh, and, and, and so everybody said, don't, don't walk down that alley late. But she had to, you know, to get from home to, to school. And she had, I think she had a night class, something like that. So she had to. And people were like, don't do it, don't do it. You know, it's just, it's so, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's such a it's such a risk. You know, these men are always there. They're praying. They're in the dark. You can't see them. They're gonna come kidnap you. And she was just like, she was a believer. So she just said, no, God will always, you know, God is with me. You know, always be with me. And she had to do it. There's didn't have any choice. And so, one night in particular, she was walking down the 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 alley, and and she just like you know felt this this fear all of a sudden that she was going to be abducted. Um, she just prayed and you know declared, you know, the Lord is with me, and you know Psalm um, twenty three and all these different things. And she just walked down the alley and nothing happened. She you know, got home and, and she discovered later that the men um, did abduct another young woman in the alley, that, that very alley, that very night. And then shortly thereafter, the police um, found them and arrested them. And, um, and they asked for witnesses and for, for things like that and anybody that had been in the area. And she had been in the area, so she um, uh, just made contact with them. And, and um, the young men said, they, 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 they recognized her. And, and she said, oh yeah, she, she, she walked right by us that night. And um, like we were just hiding this, she walked right by us, and um, and the police said, "Well, why didn't you like, <laughs> you know, why didn't you touch her?" And she said, "Oh, she had two gigantic bodyguards with her." Like yeah, yeah she's like, well, like you know, we thought she was a celebrity or something. She's like, she two, <laughs> she had two gigantic bodyguards with her. They were like seven feet tall. Like we weren't gonna touch her. That'd be stupid. Like what? Why would we do that? And so you know, then so we said, "Okay, not this one. Let's wait for the next one." She didn't have any bodyguards. 
I had a friend actually who, um, um, she's a, uh, when she was, when she was um, I can't remember, seven or eight years old, um, she's a Korean American, um, her parents are immigrants, they, they were living in this, um, this high apartment building and um, that, to get to the apartment you had to, you had to go up the stairs. Um, and uh, when she was, uh, she was like very young, I can't remember exactly what age, um, one day she was just running up the stairs after playing with her friends and she was just like just running trying to get home and all of a sudden she was, I um, can't remember how many floors up, but she slipped on a stair, falling backwards off the stairs. And uh, she was in midair and suddenly she was caught by somebody. And um, the she, she was just young. She didn't, I mean, didn't process any of this at the time. And, and the man set her down and she turned around and it was this um, very large black man um, who, uh, because she lived in a Korean community, community, they didn't have very many black men. So she, it just stood out to her. And, and, and um, he, big f- smile, you know, you know, set her down and said, hey, you know, you all right? He's like, yeah, yeah, th- thank you. And, and, and she, you know, just kept running and went home. Didn't think anything of it. Years and years and years later, she was in a, um, in a meeting and, and she's being touched by God and her, God opened her spiritual eyes. And she looked around the room and that black man is right next to her. And she's like, she remembered his face. And it was one of her angels that like, is always with her. And, and, and she was like, what on earth? And she's like, yeah, I'm always with you. You can't see me, but like, hey, I'm, all, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always here. And this was probably, like, I don't know, 15, 20 years probably went by or something like that. I mean, she, was just, she was shocked at her, like, like, what on earth? Yeah, I'm one of your angels. Um, there's a, I mean, they're just, they're everywhere. The, the, the spiritual, it's everywhere, all, always. Like, I'm not, always, it's always everywhere. Jim Gall has a story. There was a, there was a man who, like, um, he was very, he was, he was broke, and God told him to go to church one day to go to the service, and you couldn't get there. He didn't have gas in his car, didn't have money in the bank, to, and, and uh, didn't have a credit card. So, and, um, but, uh, you know, the Lord told him to go, and so he went, and his car ran on gas, and so he pulled into a gas station. He didn't have any money to fill in the gas. And all of a sudden, in the, in the, st- in the, the pump right next to his, um, a car pulls up, and a guy gets out of the car, and, and he says, um, hey, what are you up to? He says, I'm trying to get to church. He says, you know, um, and I don't have any money. I'm just trying to fill in my car. I don't have any money. The guy says, oh, let me get it for you. So the guy, you know, pulls out money and, um, and, gives, and gives it to him enough money to fill his tank. And uh, he says, thank you very much. He turns around. The guy and the car are both gone. Just both, they're just, they're just both gone. But the money is still in his hands. <laughs> So he goes inside, and it's just exactly the right amount of money to like to fill up his his pump. I I mean, we could you you could park here while I tell you story after story after story. I mean, you could just it's 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 endless. Like it's 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 utterly endless. You are not alone in this life. You never are. Do you know? Like God has people everywhere. He's people, he's got angels. The angels play humans sometimes. They take turns pretending to be humans. Like, it's, it's funny, you know, Paul says, of course, you know, some of you have entertained angels unaware. It's like, it's not a joke at all. Like, you have no idea if the guy begging on the corner is a, is a human or an angel. I usually suspect they're humans because, but then sometimes, because I was like, oh, they're, 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 you know, they're drunk or they're like, you know, on drugs or something. And one time, Supraisa told me, there was a, there's an old guy that he picked, I don't know if you heard this story, Surprise like picked up an old guy, like, you know, uh, in one of the villages in Africa, he was, he was preaching, an old guy um, needed a ride. 
and he was he was a drunk guy and lying in the middle of the road and 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 they didn't want to leave the guy you know, they didn't want to be the levite or the priest you know walking around the good you know the the guy on the road from Jerusalem Jericho and so they were like oh I got to stop for this guy so they they stopped him and he was drunk in the middle of the road so they put him pick him up put him in the back of their truck get, they ask him where he's going get to that village and they let, get um let him get off and he's I mean he's stinky he's drunk he's got he hasn't showered in you know forever and he just stinks whole thing and um he gets down, he, he, like, and he gets there, he gets out of the truck, he sends in front of the truck, he waves him and just disappears in front of their eyes, just, just like that. It just, you never know. But what you do know, what I know for a fact, what you need to know for a fact, is that you are never alone in this life. He's always with you. He's always with you. It is not, I don't know how we got on this tangent. But if, if we don't engage with this, if we just believe that the natural world that we see is a natural world in which we live and there's nothing else, this is just the world, and you don't realize that when you get angry, like you're, you, you're welcoming the devil into your life. And when you get bitter and offended, like you're welcoming to the demonic press, like th- these are powers and spirits and you're just like, yeah, I'll have you. Like it's just, don't let those things in your house. I don't understand how to say it. Like put on your armor so you can play some defense, friends. You're not gonna play any offense until you learn how to play defense. But if you will press in, if we'll all press in, there is a power available in God that will radically and utterly reshape everywhere where you go, everywhere you go. The early church turned the city of Jerusalem upside down. They said, these are the people that turned the city upside down. We have not yet done that to New York. Nobody even cares that we are here. And it's going to be that way. Unless we just really, you've got to go after God. You, like, you, you have to go after God. You have to like, not change a topic. You have to like, be faithful. Unless you want to end up like the church of Philadelphia. And just be like, well, we, you know, we're going to have our prayer meetings because we're going to be faithful to the Lord. And we're going to have our Bible studies because we're going to be faithful to the Lord. And we're going to you know, have our small groups and be faithful to the Lord. And we're going to have community building and all this stuff because we're faithful to God. And we're just going to hold on to the gospel. And it's not wrong. It's just that that's what you do when you don't have any power and you're content to not have power. I'm asking you to not be content with not having power. I'm asking you to always press forward. Press forward. You know, be Be humble. Be humble. And, 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 and be hungry and, and have a sense of urgency about you. Do you know that, that, that opportunities are coming and the world is falling apart all around you all the time. And it's, it's God wants us, really, he wants us to be people that are able to reshape the world around us by his power, by the weapons that he has put in our hand, not just to survive, not just to get a degree, but to really make a difference there. He didn't send you to school just to get a degree. He didn't put you in your, in your work just so that you can make an income. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it. Just like the church of Philadelphia has a crown, but, but there's more available in you and me, you know? And you just have to be really real, really, really, really real about that. We have not yet faced like genuine spiritual power. But that day will come as we go through life this way. I, uh, stories I could tell you that would utterly scare you. I, 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 the power of darkness is so very, very, very real. A lot of you probably have already heard the story of um, Rebecca uh, that Angela Greenig delivered. You can uh, hear it online. This is one of the more sane stories out there. This woman that I, I met when I was um, uh, 19 told me her story. When she told her, I was so shocked 
flabbergasted, totally, no clue, no grid, nothing. And it totally awoke me to the fact that the spiritual world is so much more real than the things that you and I see here. It's so much more real. There's nobody that has a good idea that, is, that has shaped the world, that, there's, there's, that, was just, that they were just smart and they just thought. Doesn't work like that. They're utterly shaped by spiritual realities and sometimes for good, sometimes for evil. And you just, sometimes you cannot tell. The most powerful men in the world are not the presidents and kings and judges and, and CEOs. It's not Jeff Bezos or, or Joe Biden. They're pawns. The world is governed, as Paul said, by powers and principalities that sit above, and you can't see them. You have no idea who they are. You think that, like, they're just, I mean, they hide themselves in mountains, and, like, I have no idea that, like, it's a spiritual world that governs the physical world that you see. And we're like, oh, we just want to be, like, this CEO or, like, that Nobel Prize winner. These just, they're just, that's the world that you can see. The real power exists in the world that you cannot see. That's all around. When Angela Greenick delivered um, Rebecca, she was raised in the church of Satan and filled with demons from the time that she was a young girl. Since like pretty much from the time that she could walk, she didn't open doors. She, didn't, she would just point at the door and it open itself. Demons like, would go before her, around her. She could make all sorts of things happen. She could tell you, like, I'm, she could... You pull out your credit card, she'll tell you what the numbers are. Like, it's just not like, it's just like greater than any prophet like that you've probably ever met in God. It'll be able to work miracles that you c- couldn't, like, let me tell you what's going on on the other side of town. She can make things happen that you'd ne- like, it's not. And so one day she gets to Angela's place and she's now desperate and she wants to get out of the church of Satan. She gets to Angela's house and she sees around Angela's house a wall of angels just, just shoulder to shoulder all around her house, all around. She'd never seen that before. And they're floating in midair and they got shields and swords and helmets and the whole wings, the whole thing. Never seen that before. And so she's like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, I've never been. And so she gets up to the front door and she just, just tele pushes the door open the way, that, the way that they do. And Angela's on the other side. She catches it. Her angel catches the door on the other side. And Angela's like, not in here, buster. And so she like drags her in um, the deliverance story. It's a long story. Um, probably take, she'll take hours to tell it. But th- like th- that's the world in which you and I exist and you just don't see it. When I was in school, we, um, there was a student that was there that like one day, um, one of my friends had met this guy. I, I can't remember. Um, I, I think they were classmates. And, 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 and he was involved in this spiritual yoga situation that was happening near campus that I never heard of, never knew anything about. Nobody ever told me. I mean, totally, 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 totally hidden from, from you. And, and what they do is they get you demon-possessed. It was right near my campus. And I never heard anything. I never, never, do you understand? Totally clueless. And he was so utterly demon-possessed, like, he just, he would black out. Like, he would just, like, in the middle of the day, he would just black out, and he would go to class, and he'd come home, and he had no idea that he'd been anywhere. So a friend brought him to my dorm room, thinking that, you know, he didn't have any experience with deliverance. <laughs> like, I had more. I'm like, okay, sure, like, this a little bit more than you, but, I mean, we're both, um, I just, uh, no time for the story, but the, the, the thing is that, like, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. 
and 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 I just thought that you know I'll just go out and I'll just you know like you know if I have the right surveys if I hand out the Bible and, you know if I would just like share the gospel with people maybe if I hold a nice barbecue this is what we're doing on campus we thought the way to reach campus is to have a barbecue so that everybody could come or your secret friends would come or if Tim Keller come you know because if you're smart enough then you'll say enough um, wise intelligent things and you'll change people and I just didn't know what I didn't know but I want you to know. And I want you to get really hungry and really desperate. The world is not resisting the gospel because we haven't found the right way to do a study of, 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 of mere Christianity with him. It, it's not because we just need to buy 100 more copies and hand them out. It's not even because we need to buy more copies of the New Testament and hand it out. It has nothing to do with that. Should we have? Sure. But, like, but the reality is, like Paul says, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. Everything that you see, utterly irrelevant. We wrestle with powers, with principalities that exist on every single campus, in every single company, in every single city, every single community, everywhere where the gospel is being held back. The doors are not open. You cannot preach. You, people, if you preach, they don't receive it. They have no interest. They don't care. They don't want to get saved. They're, they're, they're tied up with other things in life. Spiritual powers. That God has created you and you and you and me to destroy and that's before your first cup of coffee in the morning. Don't have your cup of coffee until you lop off a demon head. Do you know? That's the calling he has for us. And it's the only way to make any bit of difference out there. The Church of Philadelphia will have a reward, but I really encourage you not to make it yours. Do not be content to suffer a righteous life without making a difference in the midst of Sodom. It's not wrong. I'm telling you, this is not a statement of judgment, but there is something more out there. You do not have, you do not have to have a life where Jesus looks at you and said, you know, you were faithful, but you didn't have any power. It, 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 he's not upset with you, but, but it's a fact, and you don't want to live under that set of facts. Am I right? If Sodom can be saved, how much more can Columbia be saved? Come on. Or Fordham, those of you that are there, those, you know, or Yale, or Princeton, or Harvard, or Dartmouth, or anywhere. If, if Sodom can be saved, how much more these places? How much more? But we have to do the greater works. And you cannot change a topic, and you cannot give up, and you cannot, like, just no excuses, and no, like, and no, like, why have plans? Like, I'm sure if you can have plans, enjoy your life. But if you want to destroy the works of the enemy, which is like, that's where all the, that's where all the fun thing, that's where all the fun is. Ooh. Argentina, this, the story of the revival of Argentina is one of the greatest, this is it, I'm going to do this and this is it. It's one of the greatest stories of revival in the history of the world. In the, 19, in 19, I think it was 1948 or 49 when the revival started, the year before, if you took a survey of the country, there's like pretty much 0%. Catholicism had been there for a long time and Catholicism had, there were some churches, some Catholic um, situations. But it, like, even, like evangelical Christianity, it, just, it, it didn't exist and it couldn't exist. And missionaries there, they would tell you, you, labor for 20 years and you get like, if you get four people saved, you're like a hero of the faith. There are no churches that were bigger than like a, like, like, like a living room in a house. Just didn't, it just didn't exist. And in, within 15 years or so, the, the country was so changed that you just churches, every, I mean churches everywhere, churches everywhere, 
like churches everywhere, churches everywhere. And the story of how that happened um, is written in a book called Cry For Me Argentina, which I've, I, 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 it's one of my favorite books in the entire world. It, it, it ta- and there was an evangelist um, who eventually became the man that was, became very famous for the arrival because he was a man that stood up on stages and did the miracles and, 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 and God used him to bring in the people and, and to spread the gospel. And, and he, was a, he was a wonderful man, American evangelist um, named, I think, Tommy Hicks. He was a wonderful, wonderful man and a great man. But the battle was won in prayer before he ever showed up. And, and there's um, this uh, as American missionary that God called to start a, um, a, a prayer institute, really is what it is, to bring in these young people. And they would live together, and they would learn together, and they would train together, and they would just pray over the country. And he, this missionary started, he, he, he imagined himself an ev- as an evangelist, he imagined himself as a church planter. He went out there, he tried it, he utterly, utterly failed. And God said, no, you have to break the power over Argentina first. The first lady in Argentina was a famous witch doctor in that day. She was a famous occultist. And, and um, the country was just, it was just under the, the oppression of these spiritual forces. And God showed him that unless he got victory over those things, the gospel would never spread in Argentina. It just, it would not happen. But if he would break those things off, then the entire country could be swept into the kingdom in one generation. And so that's what he did and devoted himself to it. And he gathered these young, like, boys like, who were, like, in their teens and, and, and young adults. And, 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 I mean, they just, like, went after it, just day after day after day. And they just began to cry over the sin of the country. And, and God would shake them. They had these, like, these brick buildings. And, and God would supernaturally give them tears until their tears would wet the rock. And, and then it would float in and it would create puddles on the floor of just these young men weeping and weeping and weeping. And the, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, where they would just come and fill these, the, these kids and they would see the same vision together and, and the building which they were in was so full of the glory of God they would go outside sometimes and see they were in the middle of a, of, of a town people would the, just a building on the side you know part, side of a street in the middle of a town and the people would when they walk by the building they look at the building there's nothing interesting about the building and something would happen to them and they would like they would back up and they would they would see people nobody wanted to walk in front of the building they would cross the street to the other side of the street they walk across the building and then go back to the street because they didn't want to be anywhere near the building because people could feel from the outside there was something happening in that building and that happened, I don't know how long that lasted, I think for a few years, at least a few months, but, um, but I think a few years. And then eventually one day, they got the revelation, there was a breakthrough in the Spirit, and the, Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, the line of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. And after that happened, the entire nation shook in one generation. The lady, um, her name is Eva Perez, she was exposed and, and there was a, a gigantic scandal and she was cast out of office and, and just, just, like, just, like, just like that. And, um, and, uh, um, and, and, and then the evangelists came in and they started planning stadium crusades and before where you couldn't fill a living room you could not fill a living room with people to have an event, to anything. They would rent like tents and try to have crusades and, and, and pamphlet the entire town, try to get anybody to show up, anybody at all. And they would do this for months. Nobody would show up. All of a sudden, they were renting the largest soccer stadiums in Argentina. And not only were the stadiums full, you have, there was no room for people. People were standing on the outside. They put speakers outside all around as far as you could go. And people would just hoard. You couldn't stop them coming. You couldn't stop the people coming on this highway by the... Um, by the stadium, people would, like, when they drove, they would park their car there. They would get, what is happening there? There's no advertising. There's nothing. But it's just when the spiritual power was broken, all of a sudden, the ministry of the Holy Spirit could come in and totally change that town. 
why God needed Jonah. That's, this is, the, like, Jonah, to me, is one of the most crucial stories. That, I remember preaching on Jonah. Maybe I should, one of the most crucial stories in the Bible. Because what happened when God sent Jonah into Nineveh is somehow, God, in his, what he did, I don't know, I honestly don't know, like, how it happened. But the, the spirit over Nineveh broke. And when Jonah came in and he preached, the entire t- city of 100,000 people turned. In a very short time, this is the story of how the kingdom of God overcomes. It's not, it's not that we don't want to do the incremental things. It's just that like, incremental things are for people without power. Do you know? And I really believe that this is possible. I, I know sometimes you're just like, well, I've been at Columbia forever. I mean, Ezra's been at Columbia longer than any of you have been there of students. They're just pray- weekly prayer meetings, you know. This is not the first generation of Columbia students that has prayed with us. And it's just like nothing's happening, nothing's happening. Yeah, but one day the line of the tribe of Judah will prevail. And when the line of the tribe of Judah prevails, and there will be some signs around there, and spiritual activity will happen, and then you cannot stop. You have open-air meetings because there's no building that will fill it. And the open square meetings will spill into the public square, and you can't stop the people from coming. You do not need to give an altar call if people give their life to Jesus. Like, you won't be able to stop it. But what you have to do is to realize the victory is not in the flesh. It's not in the flesh. It's not, it's not, and, and our enemies are not the people that speak negatively about, it's not, they're not, we, they're irrelevant. The, the, the dream that, you know, people that hate you, they'll come and they'll kneel before you and Jesus be like, you see, I'm the show how much I love you. That is for a powerless church. We don't need that. You don't need that. You got to break the power of the school and then the dominoes will just fall. And when the power falls, it's just like when the walls of Jericho fell. You could overrun the city in a moment. Whereas if the walls don't fall, I mean, march around forever. You're never going to take the city. I mean, you've got to keep going at it until the walls fall, until the walls fall, until the walls fall. And it will. It will happen. But we just, you have to really believe this. The world that is unseen is much more real than the world that you can see. It's much more real. And that's what I'm going to go after. Because if Sodom can be saved, so can... And we're going to keep going after it and going after it and going after it and going after it and going after it until one day you see the walls fall. And then, and then all the naysayers will be like, oh, wow. And then we'll all be like, oh, wow. Because <laughs> until, until it happens, you believe it's utterly impossible. And then when it happens, you... The country went from essentially 0% Christian to about 80% Christian in, I think, something like 10 or 15 years. It just, on a dime. And there's just that one moment where the lion of the tribe of Judah prevails and, and the cost of getting to that moment, you know. And nobody will know, and, and you will probably not ever be famous for the one that gets the victory, but that's, 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 that's where it's at. I, there's a reason I do not care how many people shows up to things. I, I, do, I do not care how famous or how unfamous or how much money or how little money. Those things are all irrelevant. What you need is you have to go after that principality. But I want to encourage you, you can't do that until you're able to stand against the attack of the enemy. Stand firm. Every temptation you fall to, every thought that like crowds your head, you, the Lord is giving you opportunities to train yourselves to stand against these things. So that when the time comes to stand in front of big things that can do physical wonders, that will make you go. And you'll be able to do it. Saturday will come too. 
They'll come, they'll harass you, they'll do like all sorts of things try to stop you. There is real power in the darkness. It's just hiding. But there is real power in the darkness. I'm not, I'm not afraid. But I know that as a church, we need to get ready for that. Yeah. This is real. And it will come and it will, it will scare you. Like it will, <laughs> it will scare you. But our God is bigger. And, and when we pray, when we cry out to God, this is not just, it's not, not like, oh, it's another prayer meeting. No, no, we're going after those things. So I want to encourage you to be brave. Those of you that are like really like, you know, locked into the season of fasting and prayer, be encouraged. Like this is not for naught. This is not just so that we can endure. <laughs> it's, not, it's not just like, oh, let's just endure. And no, 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 no. The hope is to overcome, to prevail. To prevail. And it's possible. Amen. Hey, stand. Josiah, you can come up and Josiah's going to lead us in ministry time today. Honey, you can come if you want to do anything after this. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the things that you're doing in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would put a fire in us and that you would teach us how to sustain that fire and to keep it alive. How not to get lost in this season's fashion or next season's hobbies or this season's you know, investment theme or next season's job search or whatever else it is that we get lost in. And Father, we do believe and what you're doing in this generation. And I do believe, God, that there is a power that would have saved Sodom. I believe there is a wisdom that would call the Queen of Sheba from the ends of the earth, and that it can fall upon this generation. I believe, Lord, that it's not just something that you did before, and we read it in the book, and you know, we talk about how great it was, and it wasn't that a great time. Father, I don't believe that it was just for yesterday. I believe that it's for today. And I believe that it's for tomorrow, and I believe that it's for us, and it's for our generation. And I also believe, Lord, that if we decide that we are okay and will never and never experience this, that we will stand before you one day and I don't want to stand before you, Lord, with just the crown of endurance. Although I'd be grateful for that, because that's that's an honor, but God, please. We ask you to do something more, something more, something more, something greater, something more, something deeper, something that penetrates farther and, and makes a bigger difference than anything we've experienced before, than anything that's come upon any generation ever, and we know that it's possible. Lord, if you could raise up 100, 120 million believers in China in one generation, if you could turn nations upside down in 10 or 20 years, if you, could, if you could totally and utterly transform cities, if you could take football stadiums and make them into churches because there's nowhere else to put the people. And just, and, and in our lifetimes, in the, in the lives of the people that we know, I believe and I refuse to change the topic. I refuse to give up. I refuse to be convinced that we should settle for any less than this. And everything else in life, the fact that we haven't gotten into grad school or found a job or found a place to live or gotten married, small things, peanuts, peanuts. Raise your banner over this church, Lord. Don't let us be satisfied with less. Thank you, God.